today we are in the Gospel of Mark. And as Steve has emphasized, um, we are kind of going to move away from preaching, to- uh, preaching sermons on specific topics. Because that's all the gospel is, is Jesus teaching us almost every single thing that we could ever hope to want to know. Uh, And so we're just going to move through one of our favorite gospels, and that is the gospel of Mark. And so we've been taking it in small little chunks, um, and hopefully you've been walking through us, or through it with us, all right? And so today I get to, uh, I get to look at a very small blip of Jesus' ministry, uh, and funny enough, it's on um, it's on St. Patrick's Day that we're going to talk about a leper, and I just kind of found that humorous uh, with leprechauns and lepers, and um, and I, I got totally derailed, and that was my moment of ADD, and it won't happen again. Um, so this is what Mark says, and then I, I want to jump in. All right, it says, and a leper came to him, Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will, so be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he, he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and he began talking freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And so that's the piece of Mark um, that I'm supposed to address today. And I want to let you know that we're done in the book of Mark for today. I'm not going to reference that particular gospel again. Um, Because I, I read scripture... Uh, I don't know if it's different than any of you. Um, I hope it isn't different than any of you, but I want to give you some insight on how I read Scripture, especially the Gospels. I think there are five different perspectives most of the time that you can read the Gospels, and I think you're supposed to read them this way. Number one is the perspective of God, our Heavenly Father. He delivered these words to us so that we could learn from them, and so I think his perspective being divine uh, and all-knowing is probably the most important, is what is God trying to tell us? The second is Jesus' perspective, because God in the flesh here on earth, uh, he had something to teach, and it is through his actual words and deeds that we learn what God our Heavenly Father has for us to learn. The third perspective is the perspective of the disciples, and so these are the closest people to Jesus, and Um, They get special teachings and access that none of us will ever get because Jesus is not walking in the flesh with us. Uh, Then we get, I think, the perspective that most of us read the Bible at is we get at what the crowds were hearing Jesus say. And so we we look at his teachings and and sometimes maybe just take it at face value, um, and, and we don't really go further than that. And then there's always the last perspective, and that's the one that I want to talk about today because it's very specific in this particular passage. And it's who is being affected by Jesus and his teachings. And so today I do, I want to focus on the leper because I think he's overlooked in this passage so often because teachings on this passage usually go like this. 
Lepers are unclean. Jesus loves everybody. He cleansed even the leper, and the leper had faith, and we talk about why Jesus didn't, told him not to tell anything about what had just happened. And that's, that's how most sermons I've ever heard on this passage go. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the leper because I think his story is really interesting. Now, I, I, I don't want to lead you in false pretense that I actually know what this leper's backstory is because we don't. Uh, scripture doesn't give us his backstory. But I do know a couple things, and I want to share them with you. I, I want to tell you that having leprosy in the Old Testament was a very bad thing. Having leprosy in the Old Testament mean that you were cut off from your family, you were cut off from your friends, you were cut off from your finances, you were cut off from your entire life, and it was a long, agonizing, unfair sentence of death because of which you were outcast, because you were seen as sinful. Because that leprosy was assumed to be an outward manifestation of your inward sin. And so this is the person that approaches Jesus. And what I want to talk about is, I, I can only imagine his challenge, this leper's challenge. But I don't think it was all that dissimilar from some of our challenges. Because I think that his greatest challenge, in my opinion, is how do you believe that God is good when life is not? And I think that's something that, looking at our current world, we can all admit that the world is not good. Not all the time, and not for everybody. And so... I can't promise that we're going to reconcile while, why the world isn't good when God is, uh, but we're going to try to address that today. And so uh, I'm going to take you to an Old, Testament, uh, an Old Testament book that I've been reading a lot lately. And uh, so I want, can everybody say the word Habakkuk? Habakkuk. All right. Kind of sounds like you're coughing up phlegm. My family's done a lot of that this week. But so Habakkuk... Uh, Habakkuk is, is often not read because he is a minor prophet, all right? So in the Old Testament, there are major prophets, minor prophets. The major prophets, like Isaiah is the most famous, uh, just foretold of Jesus, exactly. Like Isaiah was absolutely right about everything that would happen when Jesus came. Then you have some minor prophets that, that just, they're, they're different. They, they don't speak very loudly throughout the Old Testament. So unfortunately, they're often ignored. But Habakkuk, he lived and prophesied around 600 years before the birth of Christ. So 600 B.C., uh, 2,600 years ago. And, and not only is Habakkuk a minor prophet, so that makes him a little different than the writings of the Old Testament, there's also something very different about Habakkuk because how the Old Testament works, most of the prophets hear from God and speak to the people. People, this is what God has for you. Right, that's what almost all the writings are like. Habakkuk is different. Habakkuk speaks to God on behalf of the people, which is a tremendous burden, in my opinion, to have to shoulder. And thankfully, he did it and not me. But what, what Habakkuk said, and he says to God, it is raw, it is real, 
it is full of emotion, and it is very difficult, all right? And so I want to, I do want to tell you uh, sort of as an, a warning that this is not one of those sitcom sermons, and I'm not saying that sitcom sermons are bad theology or anything, but like in a sitcom, you're presented with something bad that happens, and then by the end of the 30 minutes, everything's great. I want to let you know that's not how the book of Habakkuk works, so that you're okay with it when I wrap up in about 30 minutes, that not everything will be okay, because the book of Habakkuk says there's going to be some faith necessary to get to the where we're all okay. So, back, so Habakkuk, he says this. He says, God, I don't like what you're doing. I wish you were doing something else. And God, why don't you seem fair? And so, the, so chapter one of the book of, of Habakkuk, it, it's, it, it's all about what many of us do. He finds himself wondering why what he sees with his own eyes in the world happening is different than what he reconciles in his heart to know about God, all right? Why, why is it so often that we believe that God can do something, that we, we think that God will do something, we've prayed about it, we put it on the prayer chain, we, we've, we've fasted, and God just doesn't do that thing, right? And Habakkuk finds himself wondering, why don't you seem fair, God? And he says this, Habakkuk, book one, verses two and three, he says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? That's pretty heavy to start your letters with, all right? Habakkuk, his name, uh, I think, gives justification for all of his writings. Habakkuk's name means to wrestle or to embrace, all right? Uh, and so that's the image that I get when, when I, I see Habakkuk pleading to God. Um, it is, is this embrace and wrestle, very intimate but very painful thing that is happening. And he goes on to say this just in verses 3 and 4. He continues, he says, Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoings? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. And so, I think we've all been there. At least close to that. All right, Henry Blackaby... Um, very famously wrote about a, uh, a crisis of belief, all right? Uh, we, we've, we've talked about in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, this dark night of the soul. It is a moment when most believers, their life comes up against this misunderstanding of who God is, and they have to reconcile either I don't understand who God is, or... God isn't who I think he is. And so we have this big crisis moment. And Habakkuk is displaying that for us at the very beginning, right at kickoff, that he does not understand the world and God coinciding and coexisting the way that it does. 
And so he really boils it down to three problems, and I won't read the rest of book one because it's pretty much all the same, but it boils down to three things. It says, God, you don't really seem to care. God, you aren't doing anything when I know that you could. And three, God, what you are doing doesn't seem fair in the moment. It doesn't seem just. And God responds in book one. And I love the first part of what God says. God says this. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for what I am going to, uh, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Now that sounds exciting, right? Like that sounds like God is going to answer prayer. God is going to move. God is going to lift up his people from the injustice of the world and the things that are going on. And it is so exciting to know that you are one of God's children when he speaks like that and when he promises something big and unbelievable is going to happen. And I wish that was the end of it because it would be great. But then God continues. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own, They are a feared and dreaded people. They all come intent on violence. And so what does God say? Habakkuk says, God, this isn't fair. What you're doing isn't fair. You're not doing what you could. I don't understand why you're not helping your people. And God says, oh, Habakkuk, don't worry. I'm going to do something awesome, man. I'm going to do something awesome. What I'm going to do is I'm going to raise up these enemies of yours and I'm going to put them in power over you. And at that moment, I'm as confused as Habakkuk is that that's the path God would lead us down because it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem just. It does not go with God's goodness in my train of thought. But here, here's what I know to be true from this exchange that Habakkuk has with God. And it's that a committed believer can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace a genuine faith in God. Right? Those hard questions, if we can't ask our Heavenly Father those hard questions, I think it shows a disturbing lack of faith. Because our Heavenly Father, He already knows those questions in your heart. If you doubt that He's real, He already knows that. If you doubt that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, He knows. So why lie to yourself that you can hide that? Because you can't. So wrestling openly with God is the first step. Habakkuk closes out chapter 1. He says this, he says, Lord, Are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up the more righteous than themselves? And so we kind of end that first book, and that's the end of the first book. So 
Habakkuk, in answering the question, why doesn't God seem fair and what do we do about it? He leaves us with this plea to God, I know that you're powerful, you're everlasting. Lord, you are good. You love your people. And okay, you're going to appoint over us these people who will destroy us. Okay, God, I, I love you still, but that doesn't, that is not fair. That is not okay. Like, that is just wrong. That's how Habakkuk closes his first book. And so Habakkuk sort of understands that there isn't really a whole lot we can do at that moment. All right? He enters into his second book. And that's, what he, that's when we discover what Habakkuk suggests that we do. All right, the, he, he suggests that we do three things, and they're laid out pretty plainly. The first thing he says in, in verse 1, he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what God will say to me. And so the very first thing that Habakkuk suggests that we actually do, it's not, this is one of those places in scripture where it's, it's not like mind blown. It's listen to what God is saying to you. Because when we're in those moments of crisis, when we see these bad things happen, something terrible, something vile and vicious happened over the weekend on the other side of the world. And you know what happened as soon as that shooting occurred? Man, my social media lit up. I don't know about yours. Every single person who, who had an opinion and probably shouldn't registered it. How many people prayed and just listen? Not, not praying for what God, what you want from God, but just praying, Heavenly Father, here I am. Speak to me. Because that's the type of prayer, that's the type of listening Habakkuk suggests that we do. Is that we quiet, not just our lips, but we quiet our mind and we listen to what God has to say to us. Then he goes on to say this in, in verse 2, he says, Then the Lord replied, All right, so these are God's words, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. Now, my, I, I always tease my wife, man. My, my wife and I are so much different in so many different ways. But the one thing, like, I, I don't even own a one-chapter notebook anymore. Like, the, you know, the little binder ones, the eight and a half by 11? I, I, don't, I don't own one, ever. I don't think I have written anything, like, physically, except for my really bad signature in, like, almost a year. I don't write. She writes everything, like lists upon lists. Like there's a notebook in our bedroom. I'm not kidding you on her nightstand, like that tall one subject notebooks full. I'm like, you're never coming back to that. But she writes. God tells us to do the first, the, the second thing God tells us to do is that exact thing. Write down what you're hearing from God. And why? Well, because the enemy wants to do a few things. He wants to lie, cheat, steal, how many of you can remember the thing that you thought of yesterday that was like, oh man, I need to write that down. That was good. Like, I have those every day. Like, man, when I get to preach again, whew, that's a good one. I better write that down. And then I don't, and I probably have a hundred sermons that would have been great had I ever written something down. 
But God tells us to write. Because in those moments of pain, in those moments of, of mental unclarity, it is important to have written down what God says because we can go back and reference what God is teaching us and what God is saying to us, and it is important. And then the third thing that he tells us to do to sort of end chapter two is the hardest part of all. And he says this, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, who knows what that word means, linger, though it lingers, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. But these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. And that is when I'm just done reading that stupid book. <laughs> because it is not in my nature to be patient or wait. But it teaches us something so, so very profound. Is that when it is God's will and time, you cannot stop it. But it, if, it, if it is not God's will or time, you cannot force it. And that is so important for us to understand. And that is truly surrendering. I think this is the part of, of Habakkuk that calls us to surrender the most. Is that you have to let go of everything and be okay with God planning your agenda. And that is so hard to do. But those three things, to listen, to write down what you've heard, and then to wait. Because God is going to deliver on what he tells you. And he promises that. Habakkuk has only three books. Ooh, I held up four right there. Three. Woo. Man, I almost did that. In, uh, in chapter three, the final chapter, there is a big change in tone. And if you read all of chapter one and chapter two, all the way up to the very last verse in chapter 2, you see an angst, an agony, and this, this, this truly this disappointment of why, God, aren't you doing what I want you to do? And I know in a room this large that some of us are feeling that right now. God, there's something in my life. Why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing something about this? Because I know that you can, I believe that you can, and you just, you haven't done it yet, and so why not? But Habakkuk, he ends chapter two this way. He says, everybody say, but the Lord. But the Lord. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. It, it's, it's like the Psalms say, uh, one of my favorite Psalms um, says, be silent and know that I am God. 
Habakkuk is telling us the same thing, that we need to be silent and recognize who God is and understand. And he starts to make that transition right at the end of chapter 2. And so in chapter 3, he suggests this reset. Um, and he does it right in, in, right in verse 1, all right? And it's one of those little intricate details that, that you can miss so quick because it, when you read chapter 3, it is so easy to skip over the very first verse because it seems like it's not applicable, all right? But he says this, he says, uh, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shijanoth. Anybody say that word, Shijanoth? All right. Teaching you some words today. All right. I want to teach you what Shijanoth means. All right. Well, Shijanoth is the plural of Shijan. Right. That clear, clears it up. Right. Shishin is actually a word that only appears one time in all of the Bible, and it's in Psalm 7. And Shishinoth is only ever used here in Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 1. And it's, it's, uh, it's hard to explain because we don't know a whole lot about this word. What we do know about this word is that it calls for a congregation or a group of people on how to sing a song or a psalm, all right? So if I were to say, you know, the band, I want jazz flair, right? You guys would know what that means, right? You've heard jazz, distinct. If I said, you know what, I want to give it a hip-hop vibe, like, we, we would know, we could follow that too. Or you know what, country western, like, that's the vibe I want the next worship song to have, all right? So he is telling us how to do it, all right? There's, there's, a, there's a, a part to that. It's a musical term um, that instructs us how to do what we're going to do. And it means to sing and perform with strong emotion, with impassioned exuberance. It means wild, passionate singing with rapid changes of rhythm. And it means high-spirited praise with vigorous enthusiasm. Now that is a whole lot of energy even to just try to blurt that out, let alone perform it. But there's something that, that, that I want you to understand about Habakkuk in chapter 3. I think it's something that Habakkuk wants you to understand about him in chapter 3. <clears throat> and that is, he is doing this full body, all in exuberant worship to God before God did what Habakkuk wanted him to do. Now, did you catch what I said? It is a praise and worship before God does what we want him to do. In my family, we do this fairly poorly. I'm going to let you guys know this right now. We pray at mealtime before we eat. And that may be the only regular prayer that God gets from us every day on something we have not yet to receive. That may be the only consistent daily prayer that we give to God for something that we have not yet to receive. But that is what Habakkuk is doing in his chapter 3. 
as he is in this full body, exuberant praise and worship for who God is, not what God does. And so what do we do when life gets difficult? Because it will. I want you to know if you're sitting in here, the, the one thing that I would, if you don't remember anything else that I say today, I want to say two things. I want to say that, that Jesus loves you, no matter your background, no matter where you came from or what you did, Jesus died for you to repent of your sin, was raised three days later, defeating death. He is in heaven right now with our Heavenly Father, Lord, and He is ready to petition on our behalfs if we follow and believe in Him and have accepted Him as Lord and Savior. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I want you to know that at some point your life isn't going to be fair and it's not going to be easy and it's going to be bad. Because God tells us that, that it will rain on the just and the unjust alike. So what do we do as followers and disciples of Christ? What do we do when life gets bad. Well, I want to talk about two things uh, to, to, to finish. All right, so the very first thing I want us to do is I want us to remember and embrace the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. And so we're going to remember. All right, somebody say remember. All right. Habakkuk says this in chapter 3, verse 3. He says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, his glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. Now, when I read that, you may sit there and think, well, that doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. But it did to Habakkuk, and I want to tell you why. Because when Habakkuk says that God came from Taman and from Mount Paran, these are places of deliverance that God brought his people to escape the persecution of the Egyptians. What Habakkuk is doing in this particular piece of scripture, he's doing something that we've kind of covered uh, in the Gospel Project just, just two weeks ago when we talked about Exodus. God performed these plagues for his people. God parted the sea for his people. God delivered manna from heaven for his people. God had Moses strike a rock with his staff and burst forth a stream so that his people would no longer be thirsty. Habakkuk is remembering the goodness of God. He is remembering when God was faithful. And there's a hope behind that that God will do that again. And so he's remembering Verses 4, 5, and 6, Habakkuk says this. He says, His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and he shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. Habakkuk is remembering when God delivered his people. He says, God, I remember your faithfulness. I remember your goodness. I remember your justice. I remember your presence. I remember, God, when you were glorified through what you did. I don't know what the adult gospel project uh, talked about that night, but the kids and I, talk, the, the students and I talked about this whining that all of the Israelites did 
when they left Egypt. They had been slaves for hundreds of years. And they start complaining the second that they're out of the city. What are we going to do? We only have flatbread because it didn't have time to rise. Like, I inject that. That's not actually in the Bible, but I know they complained about it. As many people who complain about gluten and, like, gluten and wheat and whole grain and whatever, people were complaining about the bread. But they get to the, they get to the Red Sea, and we'd have been better off in slavery. Like, God, God just delivered ten plagues to set them free, yet this ocean apparently is too much. And then God divides the ocean, and you know what? I'm hungry. Well, I saw him do plagues in the ocean, but like hunger's probably too much for God too. And then he did the 10 plagues, the ocean, and the food, but now we're hungry, and that's probably too much too, right? And so we talked about how whiny God's people always are all the time, forgetting everything that he has always done for his people, But Habakkuk isn't doing that. Habakkuk is remembering everything God has promised he would do for his people that he did for his people because God's word will come to fruition because that is who God is. God is good, and if he says he will do it, he will do it. Habakkuk is remembering that. The second thing that I want to encourage you to do when when life is not good is, is exactly what Habakkuk has done this whole book. Uh, and it's what his name means, and it's to embrace. And so the second thing that you do is, it, you do not endure the valley. All right? What does enduring mean? Well, enduring is kind of this passive response to something that's happening to you. All right? Um, like, when I was a kid, I had to endure, you know, cooking at my, my mother's that I didn't particularly like. She made this hot ham sandwich that I hated, but, you know, I had to endure it. I ate it. didn't enjoy it, right? That's enduring. You don't, you, you don't do a whole lot, and it's not glorifying to anybody to endure. He's not talking about that. He's asking us to embrace, All right? He says this in, in verse 16. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. None of that's good, all right? If you didn't understand that, like, that's not, he's saying, like, it's bad. But then he says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now that rings true to me so much. And it brings me back to my favorite, probably my favorite passage in the whole Bible is when Joshua stands before a crowd of his peers and says, choose this day who you will follow But for me and my household, we will follow the Lord. And Habakkuk is saying that, that it is bad. And you know what? What I love about it is it's not a state of denial, right? There's nothing, he's not denying anything. He is saying this is, this is bad. This is not fair. Everything is, is just gone. 
And it does not look like it's going to get good ever. But God is with me in everything. And I continue to embrace his goodness. Habakkuk encourages to he encourages us in a few different ways if we look for it. It's not a terribly encouraging writing, all right? But if you read it with the right heart and an open mind, he, he's teaching us how to wrestle and embrace with God. And so in chapter one, he teaches us this important lesson. He said to not walk away from God. He teaches us not to walk away from God because that is... That is the out that so many folks want to take. That the world and my life, whatever it's going, whatever's going on, whatever badness there is, well, God must not exist if he allows that to happen. And so they split. But you want to know what? That doesn't fix the problem. If you're asking God to fix the problem and he doesn't, how does leaving God fix the problem? It's still there. All you've done is make an, an emotional hurt decision that is not going to bring you closure or a conclusion. The second thing that he says is don't quit on God. In chapter 2, it's all about not quitting on God. Because in those moments, the one thing that you need is the love and comfort that our Savior Jesus Christ will bring to you in that midst of that trial if you are open, if you listen if you are patient, he will comfort you, right? My, my, my kids, I, I, you ever, any of you guys who have kids, one of my favorite things to do to tease my kids is to get them to try to pronounce names from the Old Testament. Any of you guys do that? Like, I can't pronounce them, so I know they can't. But I love Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and my kids can all pronounce those now. And one of the things that I tried to emphasize to the kids is that God didn't pull them out of the fire. He left them in there. He just went in there with them. All right? When, when we go through these first two books of Habakkuk, we forget that. God's not always going to pull us out of the fire. He's just going to go into it with us. And so, the first two books, don't quit on God. All right? Don't walk away from him because he's there with you in it. And the third one, and this is the important one to bring, kind of bring it together, is that God, when he does not change your circumstances, he will change your perspective. In the last verse of chapter 3, it says this, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. He will change your perspective and what you're going through. Now again, you may still be in the fire. You may still have a thorn in your side, as Paul wrote during all of his epistles. God didn't take that away. You know, we, we talk about Moses. Moses is one of the most recognizable characters of the Bible. I told the students this. You know what God didn't do? He didn't take away his stutter. He gave him his brother. Like, that helped. Like, Great. He didn't help him the way that he wanted to be helped. God helped him the way that God wanted to help him. And it was better. At the moment, Moses, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, Paul, 
They all may have argued that, that was, there was a better way than that, God, but there isn't. God's way is the best, and we have to wait and be patient on it and follow it. And so I, I started this sermon when we look at the interaction between Jesus and the leper by asking the question, you know, what do we know about the leper? But what I want to bring it full circle is because what we know about the leper helps us understand what we know about God. And I know this. I know that I enjoy God on the mountaintops. But I get to know him intimately in the valleys. Right? I love to praise God for what? For what he's doing in my life. But in the valleys, I simply praise God for who he is. I like to brag on him in the mountaintops, and I get to know him intimately when there doesn't seem to be any other way. And when you start to have this perspective of God, you can kind of do what James does in his first book when he, when he says, Brothers and sisters, I consider it pure joy whenever I don't understand, whenever I face trials of many kinds, because I know that these trials, these hardships, they're doing something in me. They develop perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that I may mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm not saying God causes these bad things to happen. I am saying that sometimes they're allowed so that we will persevere, so that we can become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Because whatever you're going through, <clears throat> if you've turned your life over to God, he will use that to make a kingdom impact far beyond what your life will do if you get to control it. Habakkuk is a very hard book. And this is my opinion, but I want, what I want you to understand about Habakkuk is that you cannot have a chapter 3 type of intimacy with God without having a chapter 1 wondering and without a chapter 2 waiting. You cannot become intimate with God without wondering and waiting. Because there's something that God does in us when we do this. All right, God, he, he does something. He, he, uh, it's a trust or a faith or a passion. When you're in the valley, you remember God's goodness. You embrace him. You may wrestle. You don't understand, but you let that go. Because when I think of embracing and wrestling, if this, is, if, this is my, if this is my burden, okay, I carry this around. I can't hold on to this and wrestle Aaron at the same time. I have to put that down and let it go to be able to effectively wrestle him. We have to let go of those things that are tormenting us to be able to fully embrace who God is and wrestle with him. And when you wrap your arms around him, he is the center of everything that you're doing. And I would suggest, 
in those dark times that you grab your other wrist and you don't let go and you just have faith that what he's doing is good because that's who he is. And so when Jesus heals the leper, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing because Jesus displays to us this ability and this willingness to reach people others wouldn't. But more importantly, it shows us that although his life was unfair and, and if I can say it, on, his life was crap, the leper still knew God, still trusted in his faithfulness and his goodness, and he sought Jesus for healing. And I think that's where we need to be, is we need to have faith, and we need to trust in God's goodness, and we need to seek him for healing. And we need to pray that he would open us up to whatever perspective he has, that we would open up to his will be done and not ours. If you join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Change me and make me new. Jesus, be my Savior, the Lord of my life. Fill me with your spirit so that I can serve you, so that I can follow you, Lord Jesus, so that I can make you known. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. And now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.